Hey everybody, it is Kindle from Recording Lounge, and it is November 29th, 2012. Hope that uh, anyone who celebrated Thanksgiving enjoyed it, and uh, otherwise, hope you guys have had some good experiences in the recording world since you've last heard from me. Now, um, I know that it's been a little while since I've gotten a show, but I've uh, been busy taking some time off from uh, from work because Thanksgiving time, for me, is one of the few times when I actually can take some time off, you know, four or five days uh, spring break's always really busy. Christmas time's always really busy. But uh, Thanksgiving is the one sort of holiday that I do get. You know, I work seven days a week. So it's nice. A little nice time to take time off. But uh, had some time also to sit down and write out some new show ideas and, uh, you know, just kind of, I don't know, decompress and just relax a little bit. And so over the holiday, I got thinking about some things. One of the things that I wanted to bring up was my book. I get, keep getting questions about my book, and rightly so, because I said it would be out, and it's not out yet. Why is that? Okay. I am a perfectionist when it comes to some things, and uh, I, keep, I keep thinking of little things to add and little things to reword and make them sound better and make more sense. And I've also been trying to do a few more charts because um, the book itself doesn't have tons of charts, and it's not that I want you know, hundreds of pictures or anything, but I just kept, I would read through and I would try to focus on, okay, what, what visualization might help describe this a little better? And of course I have to be careful. I have to make most of the graphics myself because of, you know, rights to photos. I can't just pick something off of Google, you know, so I'm making a lot of the graphics myself, adding them in there just to aid with the description of some of the things. And plus who doesn't like pictures, right? So, um, that's coming along. The cover design is coming along. I've got some ideas for that as well that we're working on. And I'm just trying to figure out some extra things like, uh, you know, the, the index. I'm still working on the index to make the index good where you can actually use it. And, you know, if you want to look up something about attack times on compressors, then it's easy and intuitive to look up in the index. Um, that's really important to me. So, all right. So today we're going to talk about something that I call an EQ method. And, you know, it, it is how to EQ something. How to EQ. So, obviously, if you've been doing this for a bit, you understand what EQ is and how to do it, right? I mean, you boost highs, you cut highs, you boost problem frequencies to find them, and then you cut them where, wherever they need to go. Okay, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how to use an EQ. We all can figure out how to do that. Luckily, it's very intuitive. However, what I'm talking about is more of how to use EQ as a philosophy, as in how to use it, um, the philosophy of using it, and how you approach the actual processing. Um, because there's a lot of things that hinge on the tone of the song. Um, the tone of a song can sort of put it in a certain genre, and the tone of a song can define how well it sounds on small speakers. And the EQ and the tone of a song can define a lot about the professionalism of a recording or sort of the era that it's coming from or sort of the feeling that it gives you. So it's not all about just compression, compression and more reverb plugins and fancy stuff like that. EQ is something that's often overlooked and sort of um, a forgotten art. It's just sort of like, oh, well, I cut some lows here and do high pass filters and cut this and I guess, you know, slowly work things until they sort of fit, I guess. Well, I'm going to give you more of a concrete way to go about EQing your mix. There's also a couple issues when it comes to EQ. 
One of those issues is EQing things in solo, which, as you might know if you've listened to this show a little bit, that I don't like to do that very much. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, you can get lucky. I've done some mixes where I've EQ'd a lot of things in solo and it just kind of happened to work. I've done other mixes where I've tried to EQ things in solo and I just cannot even get close. It sounds awful. It depends on how it's recorded. It depends on how well you know the recordist or the engineer or if it's you. You know, if you always record things the same way, you know, for your band, let's say, then you kind of know how to process something. You kind of know what you need to do. That's different. That's, that's a little bit different. So what I'm talking about is, you know, when you listen to something in solo, doesn't matter. does not matter how something sounds in solo. It matters how it sounds with the whole band, right? So why do we think that you can, you know, sit around and get stuck in what I call kick drum land, where you're sitting there with a kick drum for like 30 minutes trying to make it sound good, and then you put it in the track and it sounds like this disembodied, like doesn't even fit with the, with the drum kit kick drum. That happens a lot, and that's a prime reason why you should get out of it, because it can happen with every instrument, any instrument. Um, the only instrument I feel like that you can really EQ in solo is a vocal, because a vocal needs to sound good, and it needs to sound great on its own or with a track. It needs to be able to be loud and proud or quiet and still be heard. Um, so the EQ on a vocal you can sort of get away with in solo because also our brains are pretty good at, you know, understanding how a voice is supposed to sound. So you can solo up the vocal and work on that for a while and make it sound good and sort of build the track around that. That works. I, I can say from experience that that really does work and you should try it. But how, in general, then do you get the rest of the track to fit around the vocal without EQing things in solo? That ties back into this show and this method. So it's very simple, and I can describe it for you in one of two ways. And they're both very effective, and they will get you out of the habit of EQing things in solo. I guarantee it. You just have to work. Okay, so here it is. Let's say you've got the drums, okay, or the drums and the bass. And you just say, okay, here's the drums and the bass. Now, there's nothing wrong with listening to things in solo. There's nothing wrong with soloing up a track and listening to it. The goal is don't necessarily EQ it in solo. So if you listen up to the bass and you say, okay, there's you know a little bit of low mud, you know, there's a little bit of upper frequency dullness, it needs to be a little clearer, or maybe the low mids are a little rumbly or something or the kick drum, and you solo up a kick drum and you're listening to it. You know, listen for issues, but don't fix them then. Just listen for them. You say, okay, you know, um, if you're going to do any sol you know, any EQ in solo, um, make sure that it's just simple, simple stuff, like the corrective type stuff that we talked about, where, you know, you put a high-pass filter on, 20 hertz or 30 hertz or 40 hertz on something, just to eliminate that unneeded stuff that is just not needed in a lot of sources, you know, like... On a snare drum, you don't need 40 hertz on a snare drum. You just don't. Um, or on a bass guitar, you know, you might be able to get away with a high pass at 30, depending on how your kick drum relationship is. Or uh, maybe your bass doesn't need a high pass, but your kick does. Um, you know, stuff like that. There's there's all this little stuff with a high pass and that you can do. Very simple. Not Don't even have to go as high as 100 on some things. Some things could stand to go higher. But you need to figure that out later. If you're going to do 
high passes, keep them mellow at first, just to sort of clean up the bottom. And, you know, if, for example, there's a snare ring or there's a ring on something or like, you know, there's a little sort of room resonance on something, then take that out in solo. You might as well. That's easy to take out. Um, but then when you actually come to shaping things together and fitting things, here's the method that I use that I've sort of developed um, as a way to prevent myself from EQing in solo. What you'll do is you'll start with your section of instruments. Let's say you start, let's say you just start with the drums, okay? So you've got all your drum mics. Let's say you got eight drum mics, right? And you're listening, and what you need to start listening for is what does it need, not what do I think it should sound like, but what does it need? Okay, let's say the kick drum needs a little more bottom. Okay, well maybe solo up the overheads and listen for the kick in there. Maybe there is no kick. Maybe there's just a little bit. Okay, then move on to the kick mic. Maybe there's an inside mic and an outside mic. Listen to them for a second, okay? Just listen to them. And then uh, maybe gauge if you need to put high-pass filter on the snare. Maybe there's a little bit of kick drum information in the snare mic that's actually going out of phase with the kick drum mic that, you know, you can't really fix easily. So maybe you could high-pass the snare drum and maybe you could high-pass the overheads and just sort of try to clean it up with the simple stuff first, with just faders, moving the faders around, moving the pans around, you know, and just sort of do it with as minimal things as possible. And like I said, high-pass filters or ringing and resonances only. Don't fix anything major. Don't, you're not cutting anything really at all. Just putting up a filter, you know, if there's a problem. Not an issue, but a problem. If something literally is like, I will have to take that out. Okay, moving on. So you're listening to it, you're rebalancing, you're listening to the different mics and sort of gauging. And this is all just because you need more low end from the kick. And you say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. If you need more low end from the kick, here's method one. Turn up the kick drum. Okay, turn it up until the low end sounds good. Okay, if that's what you're saying, I need more low end, then turn it up until the low end sounds good. When the low end sounds good, and you're going to have to focus, you'll have to focus your attention on just the low end of the kick and not the clickiness of it or whatever. Um, if the low end then sounds good, then use your EQ to take out the parts that you don't need now. So that might mean taking out some low mids, like 300, 400, 500. Um, or that might mean taking out some of the click. Maybe there's too much click now. Uh, maybe there's too much at 1K, or maybe there's too much at 3K, but there's not enough at 6K. It, it will reveal things because the kick drum is now louder. Let's take a look at another scenario, very simple, very similar example. Let's say you've got your drums mixed and you need to put the bass guitar up and you're trying to fit the bass with the drums. And you say, okay, what does it need more of? Let's say it needs a little more finger attack, okay? Um, you know, more of the string sound, right? Well, turn the bass up until you hear that string sound. When you hear the strings the way that you you know, need them to, which, you know, will probably make the low end of the bass very overshadow the, the drums. You know, it'll, it'll sound a little awkward for a second. But you're working quick here. So you'll turn up the bass until you can hear the string sound that you want. Then just turn down the parts that now you don't need. So, for example, 
you turn it up and now you realize oh, maybe the bass has too much 200 now and maybe it even has a little too much down below 100 so I might do a shelf from 200 down and just dip that a little bit oh and maybe it needs a little more 50 so you might boost a little at 50 and so now you've got this sort of cut you know below 50 and then in between 50 and 200 or something like that um, and then you say okay well now it's got a little too much high frequency like super high frequency stuff so you'll do a low pass filter at 5k okay well then the bass sounds good so that's version one of what I said so basically the the method is listening to what you need and adjusting the volume of the fader you know turning the fader up until that part sounds right and then adjusting from there now here's the contrasting method and this isn't any more worse or better or anything it's it's just a different way of doing it if this makes more sense to your brain try it this way let's go back to our kick drum example let's say you say my kick drum needs more low end okay well in that case what you need to do uh, here's the opposite way to do that is look at the opposite part of the sound that you want okay my kick drum needs more low end but how's the attack Okay, so adjust the volume of the fader until the attack sounds just right, you know, the click, the, the top end. So that might mean turning it up a little, that might mean turning it down a little, and adjust it until that part sounds right, or until the mid-range of it sounds just right. And then leave it, leave the fader there, and then add the low end just enough until where you need it. So EQ in more low end. Um, and that can work as well. It's a little bit different approach, and some people, they have better luck with that. Let's move on to the bass example, okay? Let's say you've got a bass, and you say, my bass needs more low end, or my bass needs more, let's say, let's go back to our original, our bass needs more string sound, okay? Then look at the opposite. So what's the opposite of sort of the string sound is sort of the, low, the lower registers, right? So adjust the bass guitar fader until the low end sounds right. Try not to listen to the string sound, just adjust the low end. Close your eyes if possible and, you know, use the mouse and just, or use if you have a control surface, which I do, and I, I do that. Um, use the fader and move the fader until it sounds just right, until the low end sounds right. Then when that's right, leave it there and then EQ in the top end as you need it and adjust from there. Um, so the concept, here's the concept, is circling around the idea of adding something by either listening to the part that you need more of or listening to the opposite of that. So remember the kick drum. If you need more low end, method one would say adjust it until the, the low end sounds just right. So turn up the fader, maybe way up until the low end sounds right and then take out what you don't need. Or the other method says look at the opposite part, look at the contrasting or the complementing part. Okay, I need more low end, so let me get my attack right first. You get your attack of the kick right, move the fader, and then add low end as needed. Um, both methods work. Here's another great application of this, and this is, this is the way that this all stemmed for me, is from the vocal. There's this whole time in the mix where everyone's like, okay, now I gotta fit the vocal with the mix, and there's a little bit of an issue there. It's not the job of the vocal to sit in the mix. It is the job of the mix to let the vocal sit. If you've been ignoring the vocal this whole time, you know, if you mix the track, mix the track, you're mixing the drums and the bass and all this, and then you just slap on the vocal, it, you'll have an extremely hard time getting it to fit unless you just turn it up really loud. 
if you want it to actually sit in the track where it sounds like they're a part of the band, you almost have to keep the vocal in from the beginning. Um, and it's something you got to get used to, but trust me, if you can kind of get used to that, it, it's very helpful. But all of this sort of EQ method came from my frustration um, way back of trying to learn how to do that with a vocal, how to get the vocal to sit. So what I ended up doing is I would focus on the low end of a vocal, which generally isn't like a lot of low end. You know, vocals don't have tons and tons of low end. But uh, what I would do is I would focus on the low end of the vocal and I would adjust the fader until the low end of the vocal sounded just right. And then I would be, it would be easier for me to adjust the level of everything else because when the low end of the vocal sounded right um, and it sounded clear and crisp where I could hear the note changes, the fundamental notes, you know, those low, the original frequencies, not the breath sounds, not the mouth sounds, not the consonant sounds, just the low root notes of each melody line. When that sounded right, it was much easier for me to tell, oh man, there's too much 3K, or man, there's too much sibilance, there's, you know, I need to put a de on that, or man, maybe there's just too much high frequency, maybe I need to pull back a shelf at 10K. Um, and that's how this developed, that's how I developed this method, is from working with vocals in that way. And it really can work for just about anything, and it can even work on a smaller scale than that. Let's say you're working with the overheads, and you're trying to get the kick drum level right. Well, you say, okay, what am I missing from the overheads? Uh, I've got some click from the kick drum. I really need the low end. So you push up the kick drum until the low end sounds right, and then you might have to adjust some of the mid-range or the low mids or the high mids to get it to fit right with the overheads. But what I find is the more you do this, the quicker it gets and the easier it gets to note, uh, you know, you're listening to a sound and just note in mentally what it needs by turning up the fader a little bit too loud so you can hear its place in context. And that's how this whole you know, thing works, is that you turn it up until you have a context, and then you adjust from there. If you have no point of reference, you're just sort of EQing in the dark. You really are. And this method um, will help you not EQ things in solo. And it's brilliant because EQing in solo is one of the hardest things to get out of, but this is sort of like, you know, the nicotine patch. I mean, it's easy. You don't really have to do it. You already know how to use a fader. You're not doing anything differently. It's just a different perception of the same event, and it's a different method of doing the same thing that you already do. But I can almost guarantee you it will get you better mixes, because um, I remember when I sort of fi figured that out with a vocal that I could adjust the low end until it was right, and then adjust the upper mids and the mids and the highs until that sounded right, my vocals always sat better. Um, they just did, and I, and I didn't, I couldn't get it. Um, what I found is that focusing on the low end is easier. So if you focus on the low end of an instrument, um, it's much easier to then tell, because our ears are a little more tuned to the upper frequencies. They're a little more used to hearing the upper frequencies. So that was sort of my mindset. I, I would set it up until the low end of whatever it was sounded right, until the low end of the snare sounded right, until the low end of the you know, vocal sounded right, until the low end of the bass or the low end of the kick sounded right. Then I would just adjust the presence of it from there and the detail and the mids, you know, anything basically from below 
maybe 200, I would, I would try to focus on that more, you know, try to focus on the lows and the fundamental notes in the first couple of octaves, you know, the octaves one through four, if you want to put it in musical notation. Um, so for example, um, the low E on a bass guitar is 41 hertz. The, if you had a five string bass, that low B is 31. You know, the A string is 55 hertz, the D string is 73 hertz, and the high G on a bass is 98 hertz. Well, um, the low E on an electric guitar is 83 hertz, and then the A is 110, and then the D is 147, and so on. And, um, you know, the kick, a kick drum is usually somewhere between like 45 and 100 hertz, and a bass guitar's main fundamentals are in that range also, and a vocal's fundamentals are usually somewhere between, you know, 100 and, gosh, who knows, depending on the singer, but as high as 450, 800 hertz. I don't know. I don't know how high people can sing. Um, but pretty wide range there, you know, and any the, those things under, you know, under about 400 hertz, that's, that's a very particular range, and you got to make space for things in that range. And uh, you got to focus on those ranges. And uh, that's why, it, it, to me, it always seemed quicker to do that, is that my ears were quicker at deciphering the high-end issues. Um, and so I could go and fix the low end and, and clean it up and you know make space for things later. But what I really needed to do is just quickly assess how it fits in the track. And so I'd put something up, work the low end until it was right, and then adjust the EQ on the mids and the upper mids. And I wouldn't really even touch a lot of the EQ in the lows necessarily. You know, I might touch stuff, you know, in the very simple things in the 150 to 300 range. But, you know, I don't really touch a whole lot of the EQ down there as much as I work the mids and the high mids. You know, from from four or 500, or I guess I could go as low as 300, from like 300 to like 5K is really where I do the bulk of my EQing. And that's just because that's where the meat of music is. So, um, I know this has been sort of a short show, but um, I had just put this in my book, and I thought it was a great thing to share, um, that this method really does work for getting you out of the solo button slump, as I call it, of soloing up something, EQing it in the dark, and then putting it in the track and being like, I don't know, I guess it works, and then you mess with the EQ more, and you mess with the EQ more, and then you're like, well, I don't know, maybe it needs compression you know, it's pointless. That, that, that will get you nowhere and you'll just be circling around in hours and hours and hours of work. Um, and you don't need that. Um, you need to learn quick and you need to learn well. You know, the, I'm a big advocate of the whole perfect practice makes perfect, not just practice makes perfect. So if you're doing something that's benefiting you and doing it effectively, it will make you better. If you're doing the same mistakes over and over, it's not going to make you better. So try to get out of EQing things in solo like I said, try to start with the vocal. If there is no vocal, fine, whatever. Start with maybe the lead instrument, the main instrument, whatever carries the melody, whether that's a guitar or a vocal, or if it's instrument like jazz music, for example, maybe the trumpet. Start with the, min the main melody instrument and get that to sound good on its own because that's what they'll be listening to most of the song, correct? The melody. So get that to sound good on its own. Be very cautious. Try not to do too much to it. Don't make it sound over-processed. Do just as much as you need to do to make it sound good. Then you can build your mix from that. So bring in the drums, you know, bring in the bass, bring in the guitars. And, you know, if you, like I said, if you need to solo up the drums, go for it. But don't EQ it like that. Don't EQ it, you know, 
where you're not listening to anything else. You know, at least have the drums and the bass together, or at least have the drums, bass, and the vocal. Have some sort of context for the chord changes and the vocal and the melody and things like that. I mean, remember that you're mixing music. You're not just mixing like shapes, right? I mean, you're not just mixing shapes and tones. You're mixing music. So, um, if you have any questions about any of this, uh, questions about my book, questions about the podcast, ideas for the show, comments, questions about anything recording, about anything at all, email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I will try to respond as soon as possible. I usually get to them very quick. And um, I do freelance mixing and mastering, so I can mix your project or master your project if you, uh, if you send it to me. So I can do it through Dropbox and things like that. You send me the files and I can mix it. Again, if you have questions about that, email me at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash recordinglounge. I'm pretty sure that's the link. And recordinglounge.blogspot.com is the blog, which I update every now and then. Not too often, but, you know, for those of you who might want to read the random article that I might write, I'll put it on there. So, hope you guys have enjoyed the show. And again, hope you've enjoyed your month and hope you are excited for the Christmas season as it's coming up or the Kwanzaa season or the Hanukkah season. It may just be family time. It may just be vacation. That's great too. So, I will talk to you guys soon. Send me an email and... Have a good rest of the week.